Blog Talk Radio. Well, doesn't look doesn't look like we have an entry this week. Welcome back, my well, friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come inside, the show's about to start. And will that that be <laughs> Will Harry Durham, aka Bob Euchre, be saying that tonight? That is the big question. Will Jake Arrieta be able to pitch the Cubs out of a jam and force a game seven, where we see Corey Kluber for the third time, which would mark the first time since 2001 that a pitcher has pitched games one, four, and seven, that being Kurt Schilling against the uh, New York Yankees, or will the Cubs be able to fly the W yet again tonight for the second straight night and force a game seven? Will we be hearing this? from a guy that has been at the last 12 Mets-Cubs games and is 1-11, I've heard that song far too much. I don't even know what that song is. I, I think you'd go with Sweet that Home song, Chicago if you were going to... Uh, no, no, no. That's, so Sweet Home Chicago is played at the White Sox games when they win. When the Cubs win, they play this song, Go Cubs Go. That sounds like a bad 80s song from Revenge of the Nerds. It is. It's a very bad 80s song. And when the Cleveland Indians win, we hear this. Hey. <laughs> Three, four! There we go. That sounds like my voice. 
So we're even going to hear Go Cubs Go. We're going to hear Cleveland Rocks tonight. Game six in Cleveland. And I think you, look, you and I don't have a horse in the race. So no. I picked Cleveland to win the series at the very beginning. I stand by that. Uh, I picked them to win in seven. And I've been rooting for Cleveland. And people have asked me throughout the entire series, why would I pick Cleveland over the Cubs? Because the Cubs are the feel-good story of, of, of the year. Look, there are many things that I hold dear in sports. I hold dear that the Jets will never win the Super Bowl. I hold dear that the Mets will always find a way to blow it in the ninth inning. I find it endearing that the Yankees will always have the highest payroll, and the Knicks will always have one of the highest payrolls and one of the worst teams. The one thing that I've lost in the last 10 years, 10 years, 15 years now, is that the Red Sox won a World Series and have won three. I need traditions. And one of those traditions that I hold true is that the Cubs always lose. Always. Bartman, Will Clark, it goes on and on. Leon Durham. I I don't think my psyche can take the Cubs winning a World Series. It would be much easier for me to take Major League and Charlie Sheen over Rookie of the Year and uh, Rowan Gardner. It, it's just not I, – I, I can't root for the Cubs. And truth be told, if I had to bet, if I was a betting man, which I am, but if I was more of a betting man and I was a delinquent betting man and I was going to bet who was the team that was going to take the most World Series in the next 10 years, I would take the Cubs. Because the Cubs had the best young talent in the league, bar none, not even close. But sometimes, as we are proving in this World Series, the best team doesn't always win. So I, I think that I think Cleveland wins in seven. Uh, I'm hoping they win tonight. Lester won't pitch tomorrow, so it'll be if if Cleveland loses tonight, it'll be uh, Corey Kluber and Kyle Hendricks tomorrow. At Corey Kluber trying to do his Mickey Lawlich from the 68 Tigers impersonation. Um, I, again, as you said, I, neither of us had a, had a, had a uh, horse in the race. So I was in, I was kind of waiting to watch game one to figure out who I was going to be rooting for. Um, I thought Chicago had more talent. I don't think anyone really disputes that. Uh, and Cleveland seemed to, but Cleveland did seem to be on that kind of roll of destiny out in Believe Land. And now I found myself rooting for Cleveland. Um, you know, without, without, as you said, without a horse in the race, I'm just enjoying the games. I am, you know, that Cleveland has reminded me a bit of these Giants teams that have won that have won the titles. Um, not a great, not great hitting, timely hitting, phenomenal pitching. Um, you know, this, the word you can't you can't give enough props to the bullpen. What Miller and Cody Allen and you know and what they've done. And literally what's happened is you're cutting, you cut both sides, even and Ronish Chapman pitching eight outs uh, on, on Sunday night, you're cutting this to an eight, to an eight, to a six inning game. And 
I see no reason to think, you know, Tomlin looked very good in game three on the road. I see no reason to think, um, you know, a game seven, look, the game seven of anything is great. The World Series, the NBA Finals, the family, the, the, you know, whatever it is, you know, it would be great. I'd be perfectly happy to see Cleveland wrap it up tonight. And I think and what you're, and Seth, what you're going to see is a lot of teams now, while well, it's been that the closer role has always been one inning for the last 20 years. The closer role didn't start out as one inning. Goose Gossage, I think, pitched 69 times two innings or more. Mariano yeah. pitched two innings or more. The closer has been redefined with Tony Russo to be that one-inning guy. And Houston Street um, – famously said, if I'm not just pitching the ninth inning, I might as well not play, which paraphrase, but is ridiculous because Houston Street earns $11 million. So if they call on him to pitch the eighth inning, he should be pitching the eighth inning. I think just like every other sport, Major League Baseball is a copycat league, and if something works, other teams are going to try it. And I think you're going to see the evolution back to the closer that may pitch in the sixth inning or the seventh inning or, or the eighth inning, not pitch all four innings, but come in in a different spot than necessarily the ninth inning. Now, it does take a special talent to do that. But don't get me wrong. I mean, Andrew Miller is the best. Andrew Miller has been the best pitcher in the postseason, far enough. And I know you and I talked about this. I think Andrew Miller may be having the best postseason ever for a pitcher. Uh, I think he's been better than Mariano in this postseason. He's done more. He has, he's done it differently. It's a different game. I get it. But he's been as dominant as any pitcher that I can recall. He has been phenomenal. Um not quite as dominant, dominant, excuse me, in the series as he was in the two prior, uh, the two in the two prior playoffs in the two prior series in the ALCS in the American League, excuse me, but as you said, quite dominant. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see how it plays out. Um, either way, you have a team that is ending in you know a you know a, that has, has a legacy of futility that's going to come to an end. You know. While Chicago is over 100 years, Cleveland's it was a 1948, 70-some-odd 70 year, uh, 70 years without a championship is, is a pretty solid streak as well. For the, for the Cleveland people who, you know, four months ago, five months ago, got to watch their first championship since 1964, uh, what, a, what, what a six-month span it's been. Even now they're only in this position. Well, on the bright side, I'm watching. You know, while while we're, while this is going on, I'm watching college football. They're doing the first uh, playoff ratings, and I'm, I, the Cleveland Browns may make the top ten. <laughs> you know, it's so, funny. Sunday could have been a perfect day in Cleveland, like a perfect day. The Cavs could have won. The Indians could have won the World Series, and the Browns almost beat the Jets. So it could have been an absolutely perfect day in Cleveland. But alas, the Jets won. As usual, the Jets will finish seven and nine. Um, 
and there's really not much to say about that other than they will finish. Yeah. No, will... for those of you who are who are wondering, because we were promoting uh, the NBA preview last week or two weeks ago, and we, we ended up not um, hosting last week. Uh, Sean is recovering, although you'll, you would never be able to tell by this show. But Sean is actually recovering from some vocal issues and has no, it has no voice. Yet, incredibly, he hasn't stopped in the first 12 minutes of the show. Uh, which is why he's going to be hosting a half hour, and then uh, hopefully Nabate Isles, a long-time guest and friend of the show, um, will be coming the last half. I do want to touch a little bit on the NBA, um, just to get. We'll get into college basketball closer to Thanksgiving. Um, you know, we, there's no real rush in that regard. Uh, do you want to talk for a couple minutes about what you? I mean, I think. Do, do you see the same final everyone else does? Yeah, I do. I mean, I see I see Cleveland and, and and the Warriors. Look, I think the Spurs have a good shot. I like the Spurs better this year than I did last year. Um, even with Duncan's retirement, I think Gasol gives a little bit more of an offensive edge to them. I think Kawhi Leonard is, is definitely the leader of that team now. You know, we'll be back for one more year. They have a shot. They have a legitimate shot of pulling this off. And the Thunder just keep getting better. I know they lost Durant. I get it. But if you look at that team, they are they don't have as much talent as they had last year because obviously replacing Kevin Durant is a big replacement. But from the start of last year to now, today they acquired Jer- uh, Jeremy Grant from, from the 76ers. They have a more talented and definitely more well-rounded team this year than they have ever. And I, I do wonder if – I wonder – oh, Chiefs just actually placed Jamal Charles on the injured reserve for those, for those yep. who care about fantasy football. Um, but I do wonder if – you know, remember about two years ago, they drafted Cameron Payne, who was supposed to help yep. with their point – who was supposed to be their point guard of the future, with Westbrook kind of playing that combo role. Um, I'm assuming this, this – to me, this is a reflection of that pick – you know, the, the Sam Presti's pick just, you know, of, of pain, I think it was number 14 or 15, just just didn't work. And they're no, kind of starting Cameron to write them off a little bit. Hurt. No, no, Cameron Payne's hurt. He's hurt for the first how, six, for how eight long? Weeks of the six to eight weeks. Oh. He's a point guard. So you, the, the well, so is, well, Grant, is a con, Grant is a combo. So it, No, Grant is a 6'9 power forward. Jeremy Grant, the point guard from Notre Dame, was it a different or, or am, I missing, no, am I getting the wrong guy? No, Sergeant Grant from Syracuse, his brother. Oh, whoops! Oh, yeah. <laughs> not my best moment. No, no, no. not so, my best so, moment. So they acquired this um, the Grant that you are referring to, his brother. Who these are both Harvey Grant's sons. By the way, right, was drafted by the Knicks, on, which is why I was a little plan, surprised yes, that he was. He was traded to Chicago in the Derrick Rose deal, so he is now on the Bulls. Right. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. So, right. what so, are you looking forward to seeing this year in the NBA? So the Thunder right now have a lineup, and they just re-signed today. Today, yesterday was the uh, deadline for um, picking up options and extensions. And they extended both Victor Oladipo and Stephen Adams for a combined almost $200 million. 
So their lineup right now is, is not only very good, but it's very deep. With Enos Cantor, um, Grant, and Adams along the front line, Westbrook and Oladipo in the backcourt, backed up by Cameron Payne and backed up by uh, a couple of other young players, they are very, they're very deep and very good. And we know Westbrook's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, already throwing down a, a triple-double with 50 points in week one. So I like them a lot and wouldn't be surprised if they make the, the Western Conference Finals. I certainly think that they will make the top four in the West. The West is very good, though, and very deep. Well, the West has been very good for the last 10 years. Uh, when you And just kind of trying to figure out who fits. You know, P teams come out. You, you have Dallas on the downswing. Memphis is kind of in nowhere land. And then you have teams like Utah and Minnesota, which may be, which may be replacing them in the playoff hunt. Um, you know, no argument really. With, I mean, I think you kind of have to say Golden State, Cleveland until, you, until there's a reason not to. Clippers have, the Clippers seem to perpetually be in the running and then self-destruct. Although this will be interesting because I believe Blake Griffin is, is a free agent after this season. Um, and San Antonio bringing in Duncan, Danny Green, you know, they still have an enormous amount of talent and obviously the best, probably the best coach team in sports. Portland has the best backcourt in the West with McCollum and Lillard. Houston has probably the best fit with, uh, with, with James Harden playing for Mike D'Antoni, which just kind of seems like a perfect combination. And they got some shooting with Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Normally, as you said, we would do this. We usually do this show for about an hour. So we're kind of cutting this one a little bit quick. Uh, it's good to hear Sean, you know, good, good to hear Sean back on the radio and sounding as intelligent as most, well, as Sean does. I guess that's a compliment. Hey. Yeah. They, 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 <laughs> why don't you swab me backhanded again? That, that worked out very well. I was going to say, well, how about as intelligent as other Syracuse alum? That's what not even any that? better. Yeah, I didn't think so. No, no, no. So, no. I'll, I'll talk, no, I'll talk no. some basketball with the Bate Isles later on in the show. Um, so you wanted to talk a little bit of football. You want to talk college? You want to, where, where do you want to play? Where do you want to go? With I did. I want, well, uh, I, I definitely want to talk a little bit of college. Um, I was very interested in what happened in the BCS. It just came out. Um, Ohio State, number six. Michigan, I believe, was number three or four. Definitely on a collision course to see who's going to be there at the end. Texas A&M also in the running and Alabama still perched up atop. Is there anybody that can beat Bama? I mean, I, I, I've, I said this from the beginning. I said it when we had our college football preview. I said, until somebody beats Alabama, they will be number one in my list in perpetuity until somebody beats them. And I haven't seen one shred of evidence that somebody's got a team that can, that can match with these guys. They just keep reloading every year. Well, when I, when I look, in the, as I said, they announced the top six. It, the order is Alabama, Clemson, Michigan, Texas A&M, Washington, Ohio State. And it would take a team of, I don't know, I'll be honest. Uh, 
you look at the rest of the SEC, and yes, Texas A&M is four, but I don't think anyone looks at Texas A&M and sees, you know, although they have certainly overachieved in a year where Kevin Sumlin had no expectations. Um, I don't think anyone looks at that team and says, well, that's going to be a playoff team a month from now, despite their murderous schedule. They've already lost Alabama by 20. To me, I, I, you're looking at you're going to look at Alabama, probably going to look at Clemson, although Clemson kind of reminds me of those teams that just cruise through the year. They have not looked great. They, should have, they very well could have lost three or four different teams, different games, but at the end of the day, they're going to be right there. They're going to be the heavy favorite to go undefeated the rest of the way, having beaten Florida State in a thrilling game this past weekend. They beat Louisville. They beat North Carolina. Um, they beat Auburn, which is looking like a better and better win. So they have them at two. You're going to have the Michigan-Ohio State winner most likely at three. Um, and then at four, you're looking at – you're either looking at, again, a the loser of Michigan – well, if Michigan loses, if Ohio State loses with two losses, they're not getting in. Or you're looking – in my mind, you're looking at – I think Washington's going to lose somewhere along the way. I don't see them as an 11-0 team. I think you're looking at Louisville. I really do. Um, I think Louisville goes 11-1. And even though they haven't looked as great in the last couple weeks, they go 11-1, and and they're only losses by four points to the number two team in the BCS. You know, they beat Florida State by 50. Yeah, but Seth, remember, they still have to go to an ACC championship team. They, they're not going to be there. Remember, Clemson's so, going to be there. But right, there's so no SEC. I, my, my feeling is this. There's no SEC team. There, there, no one from the Big 12 is going. There's no independent going. If Washington loses one game, they're not going. So you, if Ohio State, again, if Ohio State beats Michigan, then maybe it's a horse of a different color. But in my mind, you're looking at who's the best one-loss team in the country. And especially if Michigan beats Ohio State, and again, we're a couple of weeks away from that. I think you're looking at Louisville. Apparently, Sean was I so stunned by my response. I, no, I, I don't dispute it. I wonder if not being in the championship game. So if you have teams that lose in the championship game and that creates their loss, is that a better result than if you're not in the championship game because you had an earlier loss? I think it's contingent on who the loss is to. It depends on the, on the strength of the conference. And when you're looking at the Big 12, the Big 12 is brutal this year. The two last undefeated teams were Baylor and West Virginia. They both lost this week. You're looking at the Pac-10 Stanford's having a down year. Oregon's having the number two team in the Pac-10 is debatably Utah or Washington State. These are not teams. These are so to me. If if Washington loses along the way, this is a much worse loss than Louisville losing to Clemson. The Big Ten. You want to argue Ohio State, Michigan? If Michigan. If Ohio State beats Michigan in, in a great game and that's the one loss, I think it's a perfectly valid argument to have Michigan there. Um, if Ohio State loses, they lost twice. That's, that's two losses they're out. No one's ever going to make it with two losses, I don't think. 
And you look at the SEC, and as much as everyone loves the SEC, this has been a bad year in the SEC, a down year. There's Alabama, and there's really no – in my mind, there's no other legitimate threat. A&M is not a legitimate threat to me. So it's almost by default. So could I see Ohio State with two – if they lose an incredible game to Michigan, could I see them getting in with two losses? I could. Um, could I see Washington? Washington would be hard for me. I don't think they've beaten anyone really at well out of conference, but I'd have to look back. And I'd have to take a look back, to be fair. So in my mind, I look at who, I, who has had the most impressive loss, which is kind of a misnomer. You know, Louisville losing at Clemson 43-40 is not a bad loss. No. And, you know, to me, that's where I would be, that's where I would be looking. But again, we still have three weeks to go in the season, and you know we we know that there, we know that there's upsets coming along the way. We don't know when, but we know they're coming. Absolutely, and I mean we can with three quarters of the of the NCAA season done. Look, we both thought that Leonard Fournette was going to be very high in the Heisman Trophy ballot. Well, he hasn't really played. He's been out of three games and he's been injured most of the season off and on. Is it still Jackson from Louisville in the, with the lead, at the lead horse? I think so. I mean, we're at, we're at the three-quarter pole here. I don't know really who else you'd go with. You look around. Deshaun Watson has not had a great year. Um, you can look at Jabril Peppers from Michigan, but it's very hard to take a defensive player or a Jonathan Allen from Alabama who may kind of make a run like an, like an Adonik and Sue. You know, but there, these aren't guys who are going to win it. I mean, I when you're looking you at know, the best. Here's a guy that, so I watched A&M play last week when I really was sick and in the hospital and didn't, didn't have much to do. And I watched A&M play against Alabama. Miles Garrett, this guy's going to be monster. the number one pick. He's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. He will be the number one. In my opinion, as long as there is not a quarterback out there, and I don't see a quarterback coming out right now that is in that type of um, stratosphere, unless they can make one like Jared Goff did last year. Miles Garrett is a number one for sure, in my opinion. He's the most dominant guy I've seen. College football. The only problem I would see is this: assuming the Browns go, I don't say go winless, but assuming the Browns have the number one pick, this is a team that has gone through nine million quarterbacks in the last ten years. They have nobody to build around. Garrett's probably at this point would be the right pick. You know, he's he's been a stud for years down in College Station, but. You need to, you need a this team needs a quarterback desperately, and maybe something similar to what the Raiders did two years ago, where I forget who they picked number one off. The, I just I just forget off the top of my head, but they ended up with the first pick in the second. You're talking about the Kyrie oh, Mack and Derek Carr, and Derek Carr, yes. Where they took, okay. you know, okay. where all the quarterbacks were relatively similarly ranked. And took the quarterback and took at the beginning of the second round in Derek Carr, who is a 
borderline MVP, not even a borderline, who's an MVP candidate so far this year. So yep. you, you can you can look at a now this year when you're looking at the quarterbacks, you're going to be looking at Deshaun Jackson, you're going to be looking at Kaiser from from um, from Notre Dame, you're going to be looking at uh, the QB uh, from from North Carolina, Mitch Chwinski. I can't remember his name. It was last name off the top of my head. You're going to be looking at a bunch of guys who who they may be graded relatively similar. And if you do that and you're Cleveland, and after the first five or six picks, most of these teams, you know, may not be looking quarterbacks, and you're going to have your choice of, you know, maybe not your first choice, but your second, third, or fourth may be there. And again, I don't know. I'm, I'm not doing, you know, we're not anywhere near looking at draft time, you know, at, at this point. But there's a lot of decent quarterbacks coming out next year. The problem is with Cleveland, whenever they've taken a decent quarterback, quote-unquote, you know, someone, not their first, like a Brandon Wheaton, you know, Johnny Manziel, guys where, you know, there was some thoughts that there could be some upside, you know, but they weren't as sure. You know, but these were first, both first-round picks and did nothing in the NFL. I don't know if you're Cleveland if you can take that chance. Well, I, I don't. I think you have to leave it in Hugh Jackson's, yeah. It, it's it's also important to note that in the 2017 draft, Cleveland has both their own first-round pick in Phillies. They have their own second-round pick and Tennessee's. They have a third-round pick. They have two fourths, and it looks like they have three fifths. So they got a lot of picks. They just traded one actually yesterday for Jamie Collins to New England, a third-round but they have two two firsts, two seconds, a third, two fourths, and three fifths. So, they, and they still have another second round pick from the Eagles in 2018. So, if you're looking for a team that might, we know that the draft is not the best place for Cleveland to find a quarterback, but New England maybe. You think and they're going to trade Garoppolo? Look, the way that Brady has looked the last four weeks, do you think that there's any chance that he's going to stop playing in the next year or two? And by no. that point, by that point, Garoppolo's contract's up, so you're either going to have to pay him big money to keep him, or you're going to have to trade him. His rookie contract goes up next year. So it is an interesting it's, it's, thought. And, if the if the Cleveland if the Browns were willing to trade Phil, the Philadelphia pick, not the number one pick overall, but the Philadelphia pick, which will probably be what fifteen to twenty somewhere in there, around eighteen hundred, yeah. And either this their own third round pick, which will be in the top five, or Tennessee's second round pick, which will probably be in the top twenty. Look, if you're New England, do you say no to a first and a second for Garoppolo? I don't know. It's an interesting call. And yeah. could leave them, in, as you said, in a very interesting you – know, again, we haven't really looked that much in the draft. But Garoppolo, you know, looked obviously quite good in his, in his first few games, you know, starting for New England. And it's a question of whether he, you know, is a good fit for Hugh Jackson's system. Yeah, you know, they do have, you know, Isaiah Crowell's had a pretty decent year. Terrell Pryor and, and Kerry Coleman, they have some hope. 
at the wideouts. I mean, I have no expectation of Josh Gordon, except that he perpetually disappoints me whenever I try and do anything with him on fantasy. Um, you know, they probably, I mean, if I were them, I'd probably look to trade Joe Thomas. I can't imagine he just see if you can get another pick for him, uh, you know, first round somewhere along the lines. I mean, he's great as he's been at a certain point when you're going three and 13 every season, you know, when you're, you're a perpetual off pro, it's probably, it would probably be best for all sides um, to, to kind of move forward away from that. But, you know, I guess for a first and second, if I'm New England, you know, look, they, they've survived with backups like Matt Gutierrez, Matt Castle, you know, now Garofalo. They can draft another one. As you said, Brady doesn't look like he's going anywhere for the next two or three years. So no reason to, no reason to think, you know, for a first and a second that they wouldn't make that trade. I mean, this is a team that traded their best defensive, probably their best defensive player, to Cleveland uh, a couple days ago in a pretty stunning move. So, you know, whenever, whenever Bill Belichick is – you never know where Bill Belichick is going to be coming from. It's probably the best way to articulate that. Well, I think the thing about Bill Belichick is you know he's not going to pay – he does not pay a premium price players that he does not view as premium players. And we saw that with Chandler Jones – We've seen that with Richard Seymour. We've seen it with Logan Mankins. And yesterday we saw it with Jamie Collins. He puts a price on these players, and if they want more, and reportedly Jamie Collins wanted Von Miller money, and he is definitely not, in my opinion, he is not worth Von Miller money at all. Um, And if that's the case, he trades them, and he got a third-round pick, which – is a very valuable pick when you're Bill Belichick. So, okay, so while we wait for Nabate, and hopefully he gets calling, let's go through the NBA because we do have – we're, we're going to have a, a shotgun NBA preview here. I think more importantly, Seth, where do you see the surprises in the NBA this year? Like, where do you see the biggest jump for teams? Let, let's not go the, the typical go through each division, there are three teams, blah, blah, blah. Let's ask some point – Pointing questions here. What's going to be the biggest surprise? What, what are what are people not looking at that are going to be shocked by things? Because I got a couple oh, of myself. I, okay, I, I think you're looking on the west on the west in the west coast or in, in, in the Western Conference. You're looking at three teams that are poised to make a jump. And I kind of mentioned them earlier: the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are absolutely stacked talent-wise between Carl Anthony Towns, who exceeded, I think, all certainly exceeded my expectations, and I think exceeded everybody else's. Um, you know, that team has, with him and Wiggins and, and Rubio, although Rubio's injured, and Zach Rubio, this is a team with a lot of, ta- a lot of young talent. And Chris Dunn, who will be taking over now for Rubio, because Rubio hurt his elbow and is out. Um, I think that's a team that can make a jump to the lower tier of the, play, of, of the, of the Western Conference playoff, playoffs. I think you look at Utah with Rudy Jobert and Derek Favors and George Hill and Hayward. and like, This is a very deep team. problem is I don't know if you see a superstar there. You, know, you have guys like Gordon Hayward, as I said. Uh, Rodney Hood has really blossomed into a very nice player. But I don't know if you see an enormous um, – 
jump there. I don't see if you, not an enormous jump. I don't think you see any great talent, but a team that has really melded well under Quinn Snyder. And I think you look at Houston, who was terrible last year, and they bring in you know the offensive maestro in, in D'Antoni, and they bring in and they have Harden, but they have all these guards that they're bringing in. Eric Gordon, um, you know Ryan Anderson is not a guard but can shoot the three. They get rid of Dwight Howard, which may be just addition by subtraction. I think those are the three teams you're going to look at as a surprise kind of coming in. Okay, uh, I love the Timberwolves this year. Uh, I've loved them for a couple of years, and I re- and you're right. I think the guy that you're that you hope that makes that big jump in Utah is Dante Axum, who was out all of last year. And if there's a superstar talent, in my opinion, that's the guy. Gordon Hayward is a quality swingman and will make a boatload of money next year. But you're right, he's not a superstar. But Dante Axum was drafted with that in mind, to be the superstar. And I think he, he definitely can be. Uh, who are you looking forward to seeing? Like, uh, obviously, you're looking forward to, you just said, Houston and the Timberwolves. But is there a player or somebody that you're looking forward to watching? I know we don't watch the NBA as much as we do college, but certainly I am looking forward. I, I've seen a couple of the Sixer games, and I am, I, I understand what Sam Hinkie was, was looking at when he was watching Joel Embiid. Because this man, if he can stay healthy, he, he has – this is high praise, and this is very, very early in the process. But he has Hakeem Olajuwon written all over him. He's that good. Well, I think you have to obviously start out on the West Coast in the Bay to watch how, you know, this fearsome group of four, uh, uh, how Kevin Durant integrates into this team – I think you you look at you watch Oklahoma City and watch Russell Westbrook just go on a one man wrecking crew on his way to the MVP. I think you enjoy watching Brooklyn just for the simple reason of watching the reemergence of kind of Jeremy Lin with Kenny Atkinson, which is who is kind of really coaching him to his his insanity days. You know the East, unfortunately, is still not particularly interesting in regards to you still have Cleveland and then you have everybody else. You know, Boston's made a nice move with, with Horford. Toronto's still solid. You know, maybe Indiana makes, with Miles Turner, makes a bit of a jump. But, you know, Detroit has some talent. But kind of that 4 through 12, 4 through 10, no one's, I don't see anyone beating Cleveland. No, I'd agree with that. I, I'm actually looking forward to seeing how the Knicks mesh, if they do. And if they I think they badly. They, they you know what? If they stay healthy and they do mesh, they can be relevant. And relevant, right, but, granted, granted, relevance is a long way from a championship, but relevance is a long way from where we were a couple of but years back. I guess back that, that brings, and that brings in a point. And actually, Nabate, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing in Nabate Isles, you know, host, you know, producer on Sirius NBA Radio, longtime host of so much to talk about, and Nabate, you know. I'm going to ask you, best case scenario here, the Knicks, Knicks melt. Rose has a good year. You know, melts nicely. They go, I don't know, 50 and 32, which is obviously the top of the level of where I think anyone would see this Knicks team going. Then what? 
this is not a team I see that can progress beyond the second round. They're relevant, but they're not going anywhere. And there have been so many talks about trades of Mel over the last couple of years. What is your hope for the Knicks? As a guy who is, I know, I'm pretty sure, is a, is a pretty big Knicks fan. I mean, my hope is, uh, and, and good evening, uh, Seth and Sean. Thank you for having me on the show. I think, um, I mean, this, as an objective, looking at objectively, the best-case scenario is for the Knicks to win 50 games and to make the Eastern Conference semifinals. They would not make the finals, um, the Eastern Conference finals, but to make the Eastern Conference semifinals win 50 games, that is the best-case scenario. The New York Knicks, if they are healthy, that's the one thing. Number one, they have to be healthy. Number two, they need to have KP, Kristaps Porzingis, progress. They need to give him the ball. They need to put him in situations where he can feel confident in scoring and being able to feel confident to use his abilities. And the third thing is for their bench to hold up. I think their bench is actually better than what people think. You have Brandon Jennings, who's playing for a contract. You have Lance Thomas, very underrated uh, defender and an outside shooter. Like, he just started hitting an outside shot last year, but he's there. Willie Hernan Gomez is uh, – Billy Hernan Gomez is unbelievable. Like, from the standpoint of, like, his skill set for a young age is very mature, and he will be able to fill up his role very quickly. You have Justin Holliday who can shoot. I mean, he's shown he can shoot, and he has a championship pedigree with the Golden State Warriors where he didn't get much playing time, but he can be able to provide uh, a, a sense of, of, of leading by example on how Golden State prepared and how his te- he, what he took out of how his teammates prepared, he can implement it in his regimen and then have people follow him. And he has a ring. No one else on that New York Knicks team has a ring. People have to realize that. So he has that going for him. So you have those guys. They have to be healthy. But Joe King Noah is, to me, he is the true floor leader of that team. Because when he's healthy, I see the Knicks are very, very, number one, they're competitive. Number one, number two, they're, they're, they're together. They're stable. Number three, Noah has an IQ that's amazing. His instincts are incredible. And he's able to have everyone around him better from his great passing ability, from his great health defense, everything like that. So if Noah is healthy, if D. Rose obviously has to be healthy because he's playing for a max contract. But I see the Knicks, Eastern Conference semifinals occurrence. Um, but honestly, I think there'll be a seven seed. They'll barely make the playoffs around 44 wins. That's where I see them ultimately. But they should well, make the playoffs. I think they're healthy. Nevada. Namate, thanks for joining us always. And I think more to Seth's point, and it's my point as well, is, okay, so they make the seventh seed. And to me, that means that they are relevant, okay, which they haven't been in, in many a year. Mm-hmm. But are the Knicks, so let's say Derrick Rose is healthy and he puts up 18 and, and 9 and Noah does his thing and he's healthy as well, and they make the seventh seed, and that's all well and good. Are the Knicks prepared to sign Derrick Rose to a max contract? Ooh, I'm hoping that's no. A, I'm hoping no. Question. So if that's they don't, question. but what, to what end, and this is, I believe, what Seth was getting at, yeah. to what end do, Nick, do the Knicks and Knicks fans have to look forward to 
if they're just going to get to the seven seed or the six seed or even the five seed and then reset next year. Because as a Knicks fan, the last thing I want to see is them signing Derrick Rose to max contract. The very last thing. Yeah, I, I don't think they should sign him even if he has a great year. I think they should let, like, he needs to be on a team where he dictates the dictates the offense. He's running the offense. He has the ball in his hands completely. He needs to be on a team where he would be like Russell Westbrook, pretty much. And I think a team will pay him. I think a team, a mid-market team that may be struggling with attendance, maybe struggling with visibility, would sign him and would give him the max contract. But I think the Knicks should not sign him. I think they still need to build. I think, I honestly think, and people laugh at me when I say this, I honestly think Chris Paul will end up highly considering the New York Knicks, joining Carmelo Anthony, and I see Chris Paul going there, and and especially if if the Clippers are able to to make it, they're not going to win the championship, the Clippers, but if they're able to give Golden State a tough series in the the Western Conference Finals, but not be able to get by them, I think Chris Paul will see that, hey, you know, let me go to New York, let me build my stature, and still have a chance to win a championship. They will still have a legitimate chance when Chris Paul gets there because he does generate Ws. He doesn't come up big. He's got off the show that he can come up big in the playoffs. But in the playoffs, he has fallen short. But Chris Paul on the New York Knicks, they will win 50 games if he's healthy with the third-year Christoph Porzingis, with a Carmelo Anthony who can still score, even though he won't be, you know, he's getting older and won't be able to do much. And then remember the Knicks to be able to still um, I, I believe they have a draft pick in 2017. Yeah, uh, first round pick. For the first time in eternity. Pick. Yeah, and, they, and it would be a mid and it would be a mid round draft pick, which is fine because it is the deepest draft that we've known. Like there's like the experts and myself. Like I want to say I'm an expert, but I see myself as I observe and I know players that this could be the deepest draft I've seen in my lifetime. Pretty he- pretty heavy pra- pretty heavy praise, and I'm curious, you know, as we see some of these college guys, um, Jay, uh, Tatum down in Duke, Josh Jackson, in uh, at can at KU, oh, yeah. and some Harry of the others, Giles. Harry Giles, uh, Harry Giles uh, down in down at yeah. Duke at well, down, in, down at Duke as well, Marshall Folk too, man, you know, out, out, out at University, out at UW, who's between their football team and basketball team having a bit of a renaissance this year. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, now, we, piece, but that's another topic about college football. Yeah, we, we can talk about uh, that another show. time. <laughs> but now, I mean, we because of Sean's illness, we didn't really do a much of an NBA preview. And, okay. you know, to us, to me, it's still – there's no reason to think we're not going to have the thrill in Manila. We're not going to have round three. Any reason, you know, you, you know this world as well as anyone. Is there any reason for me to think in the middle of June, while my one-year-old is going to be running around like a lunatic, I'm not going to be staring at game six of Cleveland Golden <laughs> State again? Golden State, Cleveland again? Yep. Yeah, we'll see that. I mean, but you know what? It's funny, though. The gap is closer, though, because you look at the Spurs, everyone's talking about the Spurs, you know, 
They have they're built for the regular season. Let me tell you something. In a seven game series, they do get exposed. They do not have any interior defense. Pagasol, I think defense defensively struggles into it. That's why Jokin Noah and him didn't see eye to eye at times. You, you would see Jokin Noah on the court looking at him like, "What are you doing?" When he wasn't helping, you know, like Noah felt he had to defend, you know, defend stretch forwards and have to come to the paint. To, to make sure no one drives the paint, but that's a whole other thing. But the Spurs, though, overall, I'm telling you, Golden State, I wouldn't be surprised from the, what I'm seeing. They've lost something. They've lost the ball movement. They've lost the cohesiveness. They've lost the fact that uh, they lost the fact of role players that perform their roles well. They just don't have the depth anymore. I wouldn't be surprised if Golden State is struggling to be the number one seed. And But at the end of the day, We'll see what happens in the playoffs, but I think now Golden State barely gets into the NBA Finals, barely gets into the NBA Finals, compared to the Clippers. I think the Clippers take them six, seven games in uh, in the Western Conference Finals. It's going to be a tough, tough battle for, uh, for Oklahoma City. I think Oklahoma City has a tough, excuse me, for Golden State, I'm sorry, and then the Golden State Warriors in their rematch with the Portland Trailblazers, I think that's going to be a tough series in the second round, they're going to have a tough road to the NBA Finals. And looking at Cleveland, they have cohesiveness. They're going to make a deal. I bet you $10 or a dime, they're going to get another player, another perimeter player that's going to help them in, in uh, before the trading deadline. They're going to be able to acquire somebody. The Cavs will – I think the Cavs-Warriors, I have the Warriors winning seven games. I think the Warriors will win in seven games, but it's going to be a tough, tough go for uh, Golden State, but they should win the title very close. I just think they have more more firepower and they have a chip on their shoulder. I mean, you heard today what Draymond, said, Draymond Green said, we want to annihilate the Cavaliers. Did you hear about the, the Halloween party that the Cavaliers Yeah, the, uh, the, 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 tombstone cookie, the tombstone cookies of uh, oh. Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, soft, soft cookies. Calling them soft, you know. And then, and then the emblems, the Golden State, the city emblem that they had in like red, you know, like in Cavaliers, in Cavaliers, like red, whatever that color is. I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm a colorblind a little bit. So, but <laughs> I, I tell you this, there's Golden State. They have a chip on their shoulder, and I think when you have four superstars there compared to two. And also them learning from what happened, the experience. Because remember, they should have really won that series last year. Cleveland barely yeah. won that series. Golden State had it, you know. I think I think Golden State was mentally exhausted because they had to come back from three one against Oklahoma City, which Oklahoma City. Andre Iguodala said that Oklahoma City should have been the champions last year, you know. And and then you have um two like so that was a tough series for them. And then the 73, the quest for 73, that took a lot out of them. It really did. So, Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, and I look, and you, the thing, as you, as, as you mentioned quite articulately, the thing with Cleveland, in my mind, Cleveland still has a very easy run into the finals. Yeah, Boston's mm-hmm. a little bit better bringing in Horford. Um, and Toronto is still a good team. I don't I, I look have, at any team in the East to give them a yeah, serious run. I, I think the second best team by the end of the year, I think they will play the Detroit Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals. 
and that's just a reflection on how good a coach Van Gundy is. Oh, because yeah, no because they have an identity. That team, they have an identity. You know, KCP has become a really solid player. You know, Reggie Jackson has to come back from injury, but, you know, he's a solid point guard. Drummond, if he can ever learn to hit a free throw. You know, bringing in Horford is not is a very good player. But Horford is not a guy that's going to get you to the title. Right. And DeMarcus you know, I, Cousins I look, would have been that guy. DeMarcus Cousins yeah. would have, would, yeah. That's, he could that's have been. Again, I don't know how he would have assimilated into the system, but he very oh. talent-wise, he's a top he's a top ten talent. Mm-hmm. Um, but, top five. You know, to me, top five yeah. in the yeah, league. Certainly, yeah. certainly arguable. And, you know, to me, I look at it and I just say, I'm going to watch the, the NBA year because, you know, for the enjoyment of watching Russell Westbrook try and single-handedly get a triple-double every single game with 40 points and 40 points, or watching, you know, watching um, James Harden and Mike D'Antoni play together, uh, you know, I think to me it's a perfect fit. You know, or watch mm-hmm. the, the, you know, watch Minnesota, you know, kind of build up, watch Utah build up, and even, you know, watching the East. Watch Denver. Is like watching Denver Nuggets build up. They have a nice, they have some nice guards there between in the big man Jokic and now they have the you know Mude has got is going to be better and Gary Harris is going to be better, but and Jamal you know, Murray the, Jamal Murray's oh Jamal Murray's a stud, mm-hmm. but I look at the East and I just see I see nothing, I see nothing interesting really about the East yet, and until there's competition until I see competition, it's kind of hard for me to be motivated to say okay I'm going to sit home on my rare night out and I'm going to sit home and watch, you know, the Orlando magic and the Atlanta Hawks. That's it. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I think, I think the East though overall will be a little bit better. I think the parity in the East that makes it, makes it more interesting because when you look at the West, there's only going to be three teams that have a chance for the NBA finals to make the NBA finals. As we know, that's Warriors, Clippers, Spurs. In the East, you have Cleveland, that one team, but you have you have from 2 to 12. You know, like from the second-best team to the 12th-best team, how close all those teams are and how question marks. Have all, the, all those teams have hopes. All those teams have dreams. All those teams have potential nightmares that can happen. <laughs> all those teams where Murphy Law can strike. You never know, and that's what makes the Eastern Conference fascinating. You never I can know from two to twelve. You spoke because other than other than the seven sixes and the Nets. Would you say something? Upper and a dream and the Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> but you have basically other than the seventy sixes and Nets, there's no hope for those teams. Other than that, you never know. You like Charlotte could be the two seed. You know what I mean? Like seriously. Yeah, it's, no, it's, that, I, I actually made that comment early, I actually made that comment earlier tonight that four through twelve. I don't think I see Orlando making much of a run. But other than that, because I think that team is just horribly put together. Um I, well, but I have them I have them making the I have them being the eighth seed because of Frank really? Vogel. The Frank Vogel factor and they defend. And they defend. Yes. He's a yeah. hell of a coach. But when your two biggest contracts are your centers, they can trade Vukovic. Gordon's kind of playing they in nowhere should, land. Oh my god, he's a bargain. 
Vucevic is only making like twelve or thirteen a year, or something like that. Well, they're that. trying to. They're trying to. Well, they just signed Biombo to. What was it? A tw- about a twenty million million dollar deal for four years. Yeah. Yeah. Some ridiculous. You know, I, I look at. I just look at. You know, Pey- Peyton has not become the player they wanted. Abaka, I hated the trade. I'll be honest with you. Um, the Oladipo buffer Abaka trade. Um, mm-hmm. I just. I look. I look at a lot of misjoined miss. You know, a team a non-cohesive team. I look at a lot of individuals. You know, and Vogel is a really good coach, and he may be able to get something out of it. I just don't see them. In my mind, they're not a. I don't see them as an eight seed. But again, that's you know, that's my that's yeah. my decision. Yeah, right. That's my thought. Yeah, I like their depth, right. and I like <laughs> a lot of players that will emerge. Aaron Gordon, Mario Hazonia. I think Peyton will be better. Um, I think I think the size, the rebounding, the defense—they just need an identity. And Vogel could give them that identity sooner than later. But I got. Did you All guys right. hear about the trade today? Real quick, I know you guys got to go, but there's a trade today, and I don't know what Oklahoma City was thinking, but they yeah, traded Jeremy, Jeremy Grant for Ersan Ilasova, who actually is a decent chief off the bench who can actually shoot, and the first round pick that I believe oh, is 2017. Oh, no, but the first round pick. Debate, if if it's in the top twenty picks for the next two years, it then turns into two second round picks after that. So but if you, know you believe what? that, so if you know what, if Jeremy Grant not that to a top ten team, it's worth the first round pick. You know what? I Oklahoma City may not get there. I tell you, they may not get there. I, I think right. I think they they and could they no, could barely miss out. Mm-hmm. No, but no, no. Anyway, but I mean, no, okay, no. It's Oklahoma got, City. Got, I'm saying they won't be got, a top ten team. I'm saying. We got 90 seconds left. Who's your MVP? Kawhi Leonard. I said that. I said that two weeks ago. Seth. Russell Westbrook. Huh? Russell Westbrook. I I believe the MVP will be LeBron James. Coach of the year. Never heard okay. of him. Coach of the year will be Tom Thibodeau because he'll lead them to an AC. Uh, Quinn Snyder. I was going to go Quinn Snyder as well. Defensive player of the year. Kawhi Leonard. He'll be the third player in history to win both awards, MVP and defensive player of the year the same year. He'll join Jordan and Hakeem. Surprise right. Bill Russell That's... never won that, actually. I'll go with Kawhi Leonard as well. No reason to, no reason to go anywhere else. I, I, I think Kawhi Leonard as well. And your rookie of the year. Oh, rookie of the year, Jamal Murray, Denver. Okay. Uh, I got Joel Embiid. I got Joel Embiid because I think that guy is going to be a, yeah. a monster in Philadelphia. Yeah, just he's just has to get the minutes. I think they're yeah, really going to yeah. But, but they're going to they're going to they're going to watch his they're going to watch his minutes tight. So I don't think he's going to get great. enough PT to get it. I'm going to go with Chris Dunn. All right. Okay. Thanks so much for everybody joining us. Tune in next week for the NCAA basketball preview, and we'll leave you with this. That will be Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night.